0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Centered, Committed, Confident, a podcast that helps you center your life on Christ, commit yourself to discipleship, and become more confident in the Word of God. My name is Cody Rogers, and I am alone here in the studio at the moment. Um, Quick explanation for that. I literally just popped on here to give you a bit of an introduction for what you're about to hear. Uh, This is a podcast that we recorded live at our Thursday gathering at our college ministry just a couple weeks ago. Um, Hannah, Regent, and I sit down and we discuss how to go about uh, reading the Old Testament. Now, we didn't cover everything, um, but we covered things to think about and we really just wanted to hit some of the topics related to King David and understanding the culture they're in and understanding sort of the gaps between us. Um, and the audience that the Old Testament was originally written for. We took some questions at the end as well, if you want to stick around and listen to that. Um, but it was, it was a really great experience, and uh, I, I pray that it ministers to you. If you have any questions or follow-ups uh, from this night and you're listening to it now, feel free to go ahead and send me an email, codyr at cdbible.org, Cody R at cdbible.org, and I would be more than happy to get those questions up on another podcast as soon as we can. I think that's going to do it uh, for us now. I'll go ahead and uh, hand it off to um, the live podcast recording from just a couple weeks ago. We're just going to start talking about um, some of the recap stuff of the Old Testament, how it relates to King David. Um, I'll look through my notes as we go, and we'll just um, sort of bounce it back and forth I do want to give you a heads up, guys, that um, at the end of our time, I'm going to give you a chance to ask any questions that you want about the Old Testament, um, you know, t- to the extent in which we can answer specifics. Otherwise, things that you want to hear more clarification on or, or statements like that. So we'll open it up to you if you want. If no one talks, that's totally okay. Um, but we do want to give you some opportunities to do that as well. So let's get into it. Um, I wanted to start tonight with uh, a bit of an illustration, okay. I already, I already said the reason why I want to cover how to read the Old Testament, um, but I, I want to drive this home just a little bit more, and so I want everyone to get involved with this. Um, just for a minute, humor me here, everyone close your eyes. Close your eyes, clear your mind, and I want you to pretend like you have a, a pen and paper in your hand, and you're about to draw something, Okay. You're about to draw the story that I'm about to say. And I want you to draw it to the best of your ability and think about the way you would draw it, all right? Here it goes. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Think about what you would draw and how you would draw it. All right, now you can open your eyes if you want. So here's, here's what I want you thinking about. I said that story, and I think each one of you probably had a different idea of what you would draw Um, Some of you were already making fun of your own drawing in your head. I know it. I could see it. Some of you were laughing the minute I said Humpty Dumpty. Uh, You're like, I can't believe he's doing this. So um, what did you think about? What do you guys think about as you were thinking about drawing this?
1: Um, I picture an egg like sitting on a wall and all the horses are underneath. Mm Because I read that story or something. Like I don't know where I have that image in my head.
2: Yeah. I have like a specifically a cobblestone brick Bridge. No, a cobblestone, not brick, because that's different than cobblestone. (laughs) But a cobblestone bridge with a wall, and Humpty doesn't fall into the river, but falls onto the bridge. And there's a chariot with king's horses and stuff coming by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how many of
0: you imagine an egg in that story? Okay. I would, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I guess most of the people raised their hands. Mm -hmm. Um, How many of you imagine the horses trying to put him back together? I'm just wondering. Okay, the line is all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but almost none of you raise your hand when I ask you how many imagine the horses trying to put Humpty back together. Here's my point that story says nothing about an egg. Not, an egg is never mentioned in that story, right? Also, it says that the horses tried to put him together, yeah. mm-hmm. right? That's the implication. That's all the king's all the king's men. So why didn't you imagine it that way? What do you guys think? Why, did, why, didn't, why don't you think you imagined it that way?
1: Because I read one book one time as a child, and a Humpty Dumpty was an egg. Okay. And that's the only image I have in my head is this one experience I have of it.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's a story that's like a children's story. And so it was made specifically for children. And then I've never come across the story because I don't read ancient liter- literature besides the Bible regularly. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I've never interacted with that story in another sense other than as a child. Yeah, so... um For me, I think it was a Mother
0: Goose book at some Mm -hmm. point, right? I'm sure it was read to me in my nursery. And also, this is going to really date me, because I'm sure most of you did not grow up watching Barney. But I did, okay? I grew up watching Barney, (laughs) a purple dinosaur. And there was an episode in which they acted out that story. And there was an egg involved, right? Um, My point is this. Every single one of us has an idea of what that story is based on how we were raised in what interactions we had, um, how we were taught it before, what books we read, what kind of parents we had. um, Many, many different things, right? Maybe it's interactions you've even had as an adult and you are either babysitting and you've read a book. Like, there's many things that can inform the way that we interpret that story. But that story doesn't say any of those things. And that's exactly why I want to talk about how to read the Old Testament because we like to take... um, the way we've been raised by our parents or by our culture, by our worldview, and we read that into scripture already but even more so in the Old Testament. The further back we go in history, the less we understand about the culture that they lived in and how it relates to ours, and so the more we read our own culture into it. And it is so easy for us to imagine Humpty Dumpty as an egg or imagine that the people in the Old Testament should act the way that we act and have the same values that we have and um, be raised the way that we were raised. Uh, but that's just not true. Do you, you guys have anything to add to that? I know you've heard that one before. We had talked about that one before. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: It reminds me so I grew up watching Veggie tales, Like I've seen every single one, you know. And then I read the book of Daniel and I realized that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like the problem was not a chocolate bunny. You know, like we watch Veggie tales and we see them not bowing down to this chocolate bunny or King George and the rubber ducky is, you know, the story of David and Bathsheba. And then I realized that the problem was not a rubber ducky. And like, it blew my mind in adulthood that I had these images of what all these stories were. And then I read it in scripture and I'm like, man, that is not what I thought happened in this story. But I had this one image in my head of what it was supposed to look like.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's what you find so often is Typically, there's like some emphasis. Some part of a story is emphasized Mm -hmm. over another part of the story, whether it's easier to teach it to a younger child or it's easier to draw an application out of it. But then when you go back and you bring in the full context, especially for like Old Testament texts that have like narrative, which is stories, uh, you just start to see new perspectives that you didn't before because you came in with this emphasis Mm -hmm. of a story that was given to you when you're younger or just a shorter read you had before than when you read the entire context. Mm -hmm. That's good.
0: Um, All right. So we've laid the foundation. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the specifics, right? The things that we like to fill in or that we don't understand. So we just sort of ignore. Um, If we can gear it towards the story of David, that will be helpful for us because that's what we're going to be studying over the next 10 to 12 weeks. Um, But really anything um, that sort of points the direction towards the Old Testament is good. So Um, Let's talk about the categories of some of the differences that we see. And I'll I'll just sort of list some of them and maybe we can give examples. Um, The first one I put was geographical differences. So what are some geographical things that that are different there than, than where we're living in Iowa right now on January 26th in
2: winter? Yeah. It was a very, like, just from, like, a terrain side of things. It's rocky, a little bit more. Desert. Where are we
1: in the Middle East? In the Middle right? East,
2: yeah. This is in like current current day Jerusalem and that region around there. I don't remember all the countries around Jerusalem. I'm terrible with geography. <laughs> well, and, and the names change and every and the names ten years, change, years. But yeah, there are names in the Old Testament that refer to current day Turkey area. I know um, that we wouldn't recognize just off the top of our heads as that section of the world, because it's not named that anymore. Um, And that's a really common thing uh, as you look through different naming and place like that, that unless you go look at a map that helps give us the context of where that is, you probably aren't picturing it in the right place in the world. Mm -hmm. Maybe like a close geographical region, but sometimes it's really interesting to see where exactly it occurred in relation to another place.
0: Yeah. Another thing I noticed is when you're reading and it says they went up to some place or down to some place, they don't mean north and south. They mean by elevation. So if they went up to Jerusalem, it's because I
1: never knew that. Yeah. So,
0: so when you read it, it says up to Jerusalem, they mean that they traveled upward in elevation, even though sometimes they're actually traveling south. But we here in America, if we say I went down to Georgia, we mean we went south. Right? So that's like a little geographical difference that it's nice to pick up on, that it's different for them. So, geographical, let's keep it moving. I wanna wanna keep on hitting these. um, Political differences.
1: We don't live under a king. Like we have a president and not a king. We don't have, um, at least here in America, we don't have other countries trying to come and take our territory. We're not in constant war. Um, And that's very different than what they were experiencing.
0: Yeah, I think for me, when I hear the word king, I think that's sort of a rare thing, right? Like kings are sort of rare. There's not that many in the world, but that's not true in the old Testament. I mean, Joshua himself slayed like dozens upon dozens Mm -hmm. of Kings and there's lists of every King that he conquered, right? So one thing to understand is Kings were actually more common Mm -hmm. for every people group. And every group of people, there was a leader and that leader was a King. Um, and so like for me, I had to overcome the idea that, um, it's this, it's, uh, something people aren't used to, right? It's very actually commonplace for each group of people to have a leader
2: called a king. And there was many, many, many all within a very small area of geography. They didn't have the communication we have. And so it was really hard to like, I mean, you think about this massive size of America and we have a... A political system that can cover that whole range. They didn't have the capacity to spread like from a communication standpoint. And so that just led to more kings and more kingdoms coming up. And we're going to see that in David too. We're going to see a point where it wasn't properly communicated fully
0: that a king had taken place. And so Israel ends up with two kings for a short amount of time.
2: Yeah.
1: And this kingship is different than like how we understand monarchy, like in England, like it's more than just a figurehead, like we understand that sometimes now, but they were like the sole ruler and leader of their people.
0: And, and what they said went, and mm-hmm. as we're going to see to speak poorly, like um, you guys can, you know, drive down the road and probably on a bumper sticker, see someone talking bad about our president right? Or some president or some political figure, right? You can watch commercials in which someone has spoken poorly of a political candidate. That is not the case. We'll see that too, is that there are men who are, uh, could have been put to death for speaking poorly of King David. Um, and so we need to understand the importance that was there, a uh, place upon yeah. the king, is what yeah. you're saying, being the yeah. head of mm-hmm. the nation. So um, I would say also unstable governments. Very. Is, yeah, um, <laughs> very, very. Side, but they were all figuring it out, yep. right? <laughs> they're all like, well, I think we'll try this king now. And maybe we'll try to conquer this land. Oh, that failed. Okay, we'll just wait a while. Yeah. And then someone else comes and, come and, say, they and they conquers get them, right? And they're like, oh, I guess we're not a people anymore. We'll just have to wait like 400 years before we come back. Like there's, there's just a lot of instability among the governments. And so um, it's nothing for David to talk to a king and then 10 years later for it to be a different person like two people removed and a different group of people called it by different names so um that's just an encouragement as we head into the series and uh you see all of these different country names and different leaders um you know really note the fact that sometimes you're going to be confused because it might list the same leader three times um, and other times it might list three different leaders for one place right and so that's okay Um, clearly the people writing it knew the history a lot better because they were living it. Um, And so you can keep track of those. Um, The ESV study Bible has some great resources for that, keeping track of those leaders. So I recommend that. Anything else in political differences before we head on to cultural? Nope. Okay. Cultural differences. Here's the big one. I think this one we'll spend the most time on because this is the hardest one. Um, It's the hardest one for me. It's the one I want to argue with God the most and it's the one I want to doubt God the most in and then we'll get on to those. But um, let's start with the easy ones. Um, the bartering system. Okay, you need to know that uh, currency was not the same and in many mm-hmm. places it didn't exist in that time. And so when we say bartering system, I mean, you, you traded cows for yep. food, right? And or, or bread services. for coffee beans. Yes. You traded yeah. bread for- Which we co-
1: happen to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have a
0: weekly deal in which I give them coffee beans and they give me bread and it- Bartering still something. happens. Yep. The bartering system is still intact and wonderful, but, <laughs> yeah. um, We see that a lot, and Mm -hmm. that relates to marriage. Mm. How does the bartering
2: system relate to marriage in that time of the world? Uh, And you can see in Jacob, in the story of Jacob, where he goes to work for his brother-in-law, I forget his name, starts with an L.
1: Laban, his uncle? Laban,
2: yeah, and he works for seven years to get his wife Rachel, Um, and then a whole fiasco happens, and he ends up marrying Leah, and then spends another seven years And then marries Rachel. After that,
0: yeah. Um, And at the end of the day, you could trade for a wife, right? You could give enough. uh, They called it the bride price. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you would, you know, a man would go to his potential future father-in-law and say, "For your daughter, I will give you seven years of work, or I will give you," uh, in King David's. I'll give you 200 foreskins of Philistines, right? Is how he got his first wife. And so um, originally guys, I was, I was going to title this message, (laughs) Philistines and foreskins. What's the deal? And I thought that's probably just a little too on the point, right? But (laughs) we do have to talk about it a little bit. So um, what's the deal with, with the, what seems to be just the, the flippant killing and murdering of people in the old Testament? Like I actually, I want, I want to, just poll you guys. How many of you have read through the Old Testament and been like, "I just don't get it. Why is it so easy to kill people in the Old Testament, and then it seems so wrong in the New Testament?" Anybody else deal with that one? That's a big one for me, yeah. actually. I was it's like, hard. it just
2: seems so different.
1: Yeah.
0: You guys have any thoughts that well, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I, 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 guess I just that's want the to point. start
2: off in saying it's okay to feel uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. It's okay to lean into that, and it's okay to like like it, it's not wrong to feel that way, um, and to wrestle with it. That's the beauty of Scripture, is we're not doing it alone. Um, we've got the Lord, we've got the Holy Spirit, um, and we get the opportunity to work through this with Him. And there's lots of resources out there, lots of people who've spent, I mean, thousands of years talking about and thinking about Scripture. So sometimes it can feel isolating. Something like this can feel confusing and make you doubt some things. Um, Just try not to be discouraged, and that is my first encouragement, and to just take a breath, and get with some people, and try and dive into it.
1: Yeah, I think at the base of it, they lived in a war culture, like things were just solved by murder (laughs) is kind of what it seems like. Like I think of even um, if anyone listens to Hamilton, the musical, right? And they have all these duels and that's how they settle their problems is they go one versus one with a gun, you know, like that's how they settled their things in the wild west and whatnot. And so we're just in a culture when we're reading the Old Testament that war is commonplace, right? Everyone, like, men were raised to be soldiers, um, which is very distant from how we understand culture to be here in modern-day America.
0: Yeah, and it goes also with the unstable governments, with the idea Mm -hmm. of livelihood, um, with creating stability meant fighting your enemies, and the only way to do that, in many cases, was to not have those enemies Mm exist anymore. Let's, you know, just call it what it is. And so it created this culture and environment, um, in which one, um, the idea of, of losing your life in battle was very commonplace. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, two, I I would say that one of the things we need to understand guys, and and this is something we'll hit further on. Okay. As we study King David is that you need to evaluate and define in your mind what it means to be an enemy of God Mm. right before you knew Christ before you came to him before you declared him your Lord and Savior you were an enemy of God what does that mean and what does that look like and I think the Old Testament does show us in many cases what happened to the enemies of God right and if they were against Israel and they were against God's people they forfeited their lives, mm-hmm. right? And so it should bring us a clearer picture of the gospel as well. Um, and then I, I'll just say this and we'll move on for now. I was, I was thinking about this this last uh, few weeks. Um, in order for mankind to be redeemed, Christ had to die, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Which meant that the Lord, that, that Yahweh, God the Father, had to create a world in which it was okay to murder a man for blasphemy. Mm. Right? He, it, Christ had to be put into a world in which he would be killed for just declaring himself the son of God. Yeah. Mm. Right. And so That's what good. we see is if, if you know, the garden of Eden was perfect and, and then this descent with Cain and Abel into murder. And then all of a sudden everyone's murdering. And then we see um, this culture Continually shift to the point in which civilization sort of comes back and has more structure, um, but it's still barbaric enough that they're still going to kill a man for being a blasphemer, mm. right? And, and in the right time, in the right place, Christ was sent to die for us. And the only way that he could die for us was being killed for something he didn't do.
1: Yeah. Right? That's, and that's good. good.
0: And so that's it's just, I have to remember that the Lord has a plan overall. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, what I see now versus what I saw then. So, all okay. right. Um, we're going on 19 minutes. I don't want to go too much longer. I want to respect your guys' time. we got other stuff to do as well. Um, but another big one that we should talk about, and Hannah, you knew we were going to talk about this, and Hannah and I love to argue about this just offline. Um, let's talk about polygamy for a minute.
1: It's because not okay, <laughs> Cody. <It's I> didn't, <laughs> not okay. I, I never
0: said it was okay. Okay. You did. All right. All right. So here, here's here's the backstory. Um, polygamy. Is, you're going to see it a lot in the story of King David. Okay. He has multiple wives. He has ten concubines, which are, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, sex slaves. Right. Are you know? It's it's actually more nuanced than that. It's. We'll get into it. Okay. But but if we're if we're getting into what it is. Um, th- they are women that he is allowed to have sex with that are not his wife, right? Um, and then he has multiple wives. So let's talk about polygamy for a minute and and why it existed and go. Hannah, you wrote a paper on it. You have to start, right?
1: With why it existed? Like
0: your, your thoughts sin. on polygamy. Okay. Sin
1: is why it existed <laughs> okay. in the lust of man's heart.
0: Okay, why did God allow it?
1: Oh, see, this is what I struggle with, is why did God allow it, and is it... Cause like we see in the garden that he created man and woman, and that's like our example of marriage, right? Is one man and one woman for a lifetime, and that's how we define marriage, and that's how marriage has been defined since the garden. Um, and so, why were all the patriarchs, almost all the patriarchs of Israel's history, were all polygamists? And it's not explicitly condemned. Um, a lot of hardship comes from it, um, and that's one of my argues for it not being um something that was like within God's design. Yeah. Um because of the lots of hardship that comes from all the polygamy from all the people, right? Yeah. That's a true thing. It is. Okay, so this is you, so you can argue a, that there is hardship that yeah, came from polygamy. Yeah, yeah, this is why
0: Hannah and I argue because I've this is an argument that's very common, right? Is that theologians would be like, "Well, it didn't go very well." for people that were polygamists, so it's probably wrong, right? And I know that that's not actually what they're saying, but the words that come out their mouth, I'm like, that's a really bad hermeneutic, right? To like look at scripture and be like, well, it didn't go well, so it must be wrong. Um, but it
1: clearly goes against how God designed marriage in the garden. Like you yes. can't argue against that part, I, right? I agree
0: with that. I, I and think in the good. New
1: Testament, it's affirmed that's a man and a woman for a lifetime. Yeah, I also a man think and that- multiple wives. I also
0: think that there are men in, the, in scripture it doesn't say that life went wrong for them because they had many wives, right? But we'll, we'll get to that also at some point. But that's not mm-hmm. the point. The mm-hmm. point is, one, we know the design of marriage says mm-hmm. that it's man and woman, yep. right? Um, not man and women. Um, I would also point out when we look at Timothy and Titus, we see the qualification for elders mm-hmm. and, and deacons and uh, who are elders, but mature men in the church, mature men in the faith, Um, men um, who are examples of the faith and teach the faith, and those are people we should all strive to be, right? If we follow after Christ, we need to follow after people who are mature in him. Paul said all the time, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, What we see is that one of the qualifications... One woman man is what it says. A mm-hmm. husband, to one wife, the word for faithfulness. And so we see that supported too, that a mm-hmm. mature Christian is one who is faithful to the one person in their marriage. And so I think that's a really strong argument against polygamy too. But mm-hmm. it, now let's answer the question, why did God allow it? Why, why wasn't King David ever punished for it? That's what I want to know. And would you say, was he?
1: Maybe.
2: <laughs> Again, I think the, to Hannah's point, there was no explicit words by God to say that he was punishing David for having multiple wives. You see many consequences though of decisions, um, strife within the family that, uh, further God's plan. You see the line of Jesus come out of these families that have many wives. Um, to get to the question of why did he allow it? Honestly, for me, I don't fully know, but Mm -hmm. I think, uh, in, one way to look at it in that culture, polygamy, was not just common for Israel. It was a common across the whole culture. And in some of the commandments uh, the Lord laid out in like the Mosaic Law, it allowed for uh, a widowed uh, woman to become the wife of the next oldest brother. Um, in ways like that, it was actually serving as a way to protect women in that culture when she would have been left essentially on the side of the road, if I understand it correctly.
0: Yeah. So the idea is, it existed in the time and place because, um, one, that's how political peace was made. Right. We're talking about all this killing that's happening mm-hmm. and all these wars. One of the ways that it was settled is that they're like, "Hey, um, I'm going to promise you peace, and I'm going to do it by becoming part of your family." And so, and so, what they would do is they would marry one of their daughters right? And be like, we're family now. Like, we're not going to go against one another. And so we see polygamy happening in order to create peace between uh, countries. We see polygamy happening because the redeemers who would um, marry their brother's widow because it was a way to take care of those that couldn't take care of themselves. We do see it happen for reasons other than just man's lust, right? Um, That doesn't make it okay, but we do see multiple avenues in which it occurs. Here's what I'll say. If you go to the ESV Study Bible, it's the first place I recommend. They have an article on polygamy that lists many different um, understandings of it and uh, theological uh, connotations of it and things like that. It's a really great article. You can go. I suggest you do that. Um, otherwise, here, here's the scripture I would say. Romans 3 says, um, in Christ Jesus, this is three twenty four twenty five. 25, in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, propitiation is the appeasing of God's wrath. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time. Mm-hmm. I think Romans very clearly says there are sins that the Lord looked over, mm-hmm. right? And as Regent said, Christ came from David, and he came from one of those marriages. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so what we see... Is it to bring his fruition to plan? God passed over former sins because they were going to be paid by Christ, even though that even though it was sin and it was accounted towards them as sin, right? What we see though is that um, there are um, times in which God did not present an immediate consequence of that sin, mm-hmm. right? That it is still they're still held accountable for that sin. But like there are times in David's life where he's held accountable immediately for his sin. For example, yeah. Bathsheba. We get into that one um you know the prophet comes to him and, and calls him out yeah. immediately yep. and his son dies but then there are other sins that david does that are not punished immediately and that's to say the lord does what the lord does and he wills what he wills and it is his choice as to when he will present the punishment for that sin mm-hmm. right and when we will experience maybe the discipline for that sin um and so That scripture helps us understand that there are times in which the Lord did not present an immediate consequence to David, even if it was sin, right? Even if polygamy was, there's not always immediate consequence given to it. And sometimes there was, right? It did go poorly for many people. I will admit that. All right. So we had to cover that because it's a huge one. um, And half of the chapters that have David in it mention it. So we we have to talk about it a little bit. So, okay. I think that's um, a bit of how to understand the Old Testament in terms of the things we're going to be conquering When it comes to this, um, political differences, geographical differences, there's language differences too. We just need to understand, like I just read a word, it says propitiation, that is a word only found in scripture, it's nowhere else. Um, it's a Christianese word that was written in the scripture and um, that goes to show you that one, there's a different language in the word of God than there is necessarily in all the culture around it and two, the languages are actually affected by culture as well and so ways that they say things, understanding those things, we'll cover them as we need to but we should know there's also some language differences. All that to say, uh, don't be discouraged guys. Okay, that's that's I want to end with before we answer any questions is don't be discouraged. Um, there are Many, many people who dedicate their entire lives to understanding the Old Testament and only catch a glimpse of all that's contained within it, and that's the beauty of God's Word. The beauty of God's Word is that men and women can dedicate their entire lives to it and never be fully satisfied because it keeps on giving, and it keeps on showing, and it keeps on revealing. And uh, do not feel overwhelmed by God's Word. Dive into it and find peace that you can never reach the end, right? That there will always be something to feed on and to swim in and, and to be there. And so um, I, find that, I find that beautiful, right? The idea that like, it's okay, I don't understand it. it. means I can spend the rest of my life getting to know it, you know? And then someday in glory, it will be brought to full light and it'll be amazing to see all these connections and we'll have all the reasons as to why the Lord passed over the <laughs> sins of polygamy and things okay. like that, right? Um, okay. Is there anything you want to add, clarify before we dive in
2: to just, if there's any questions and we wrap this up for the night, just thought I'd point out that it is kind of fun when I just get to sit over here and watch them argue. <laughs> we do argue a lot. Do. There's
0: we things lot. we argue about a lot before we hit record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I do have a, I have wireless one up here, Calvin. Um, Christopher, I know you had a question. I'm going to hand this to you and let you ask it. Um, and then we'll pass around if anyone else has it. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So Christopher volunteered to be, volunteered for tribute to, to <laughs> ask. He had a question. I was like, let's talk about that in our thing. So what was your question? Great. So I'll say it just so it goes in like a bit fuller into the recording. Um, the general question is, how do I understand the promises of God to people in the Old Testament? Are they for me Were they for them and I'm just to learn about them? Is there a mixture of that? Right? That's the, the essence of what you're asking. Great. Um, we talked a little bit about this beforehand. Uh, the biggest thing, and this is something Pastor Rob has been teaching me, is that um, what's that beeping? Anyone here? Okay, there's a beeping. Oh, well. Um, so, the best way to put it is that w- when we see something given to the people of God, that's who Israel is, right? It is the people of God. We need to understand that Galatians tells us we are the people of God as well, right? It says that those who are of faith are now the sons of Abraham is what it says in Galatians. And so um, who are the sons of Abraham? What do we call them? Jews, right? Israel, Hebrews, right? Like Israelites, right? Like that is the sons of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that when it says in Galatians that we are now the sons of Abraham, he's saying we are Israel. We are the descendants of Abraham now by faith. He he is our father now. And so when we see promises that are to the people of God in general, that is us as well. And we can receive those things, right? When he, the Lord says, I will redeem my people. And I will, I, I think you had quoted Isaiah 41, I will bring them from the ends of the earth and I will mm-hmm. gather them in from darkness into light. Like, that is for us too, because we are the people of God, right? And we became the people of God because he did that, because he gathered us in from all over the place. Um, specifics are a little harder to answer, right? Mm-hmm. To delineate, is this for this person? Because it doesn't say Israel. It says, uh, I'm trying to think of a spe- like David. There's a promise made to David that his, uh, his kingdom will be established forever. How do we take that? Are we supposed to take that as our kingdom will be established forever? no. What we understand is it's presented to a specific person, and it says it's to a specific person. Mm-hmm. And we partake in this because it's the Davidic covenant. We'll yep. get into that too. But um, that's a really great example of like, it's very specifically dressed, uh, directed to a, a person in history, whereas a lot of the poetic promises that are found to the people of God apply to us as well. There can be near fulfillments and far fulfillments, you know, something that happened immediately like David did have a son that caused his throne to be established. That happened but also not everything happened and so we see later that that happens I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself we'll get into it but um,
1: that's super helpful what else
0: did I miss I yeah.
1: that's good
2: I mean we could also get into commands as well it's a little bit maybe a little bit different than mm-hmm. promises but there's a lot of commands in the Old Testament that I mean the Ten Commandments shall not steal um, shall not covet are commands to the people of God and it's it's a question of do we Oh yeah, and that gets into law, right? Yeah, and that and this gets in—it's a little different area because you've got the Mosaic law Mm -hmm. and the Mosaic covenant, and we are in the New Covenant now, and so the answer gets a little bit more complicated in trying to like lay that out clearly. But in essence, we focus on like principles, uh, not necessarily the particulars in every command. Um, And so, when it for today on this side of the cross, we don't necessarily follow every command. Explicitly, as it's stated in the Old Testament, like they would have done it in that culture, but that doesn't automatically remove it from having an impact on the way we yeah. interact with it today. And those
0: are probably two just really good guideposts, right? To yep. yep. understand what the people of God means for us now, and understand that the laws are meant to be followed in principle, but not particular, right? And that the laws reveal the heart of God and His will, and that we are to follow that. Um, great. Okay. Any other questions? Anybody have anything about the Old Testament you want to ask, specifics? Um, yes. Sweet. I, we have a cricket sound, and I was afraid I was going to have to play the cricket sound <laughs> while we waited, so good. So the statement, just to you know, make sure it's recorded as well, is the idea that if Jesus came today in this place in America to claim he was the son of God, probably wouldn't have put him on trial and had him given the death sentence, right? Um, maybe he would have been killed. It would have been a hate crime, right? It would have been something... Um, but at least in America in this culture you know I think there are places in the world still where if he had appeared and claimed to be the son of the creator God he would have been killed um, but it wouldn't have been done in the way that it was in uh, Roman times right where it was judge jury trial essentially under Pontius Pilate and Herod um, and to be um, executed in place for a prisoner even right these things all occurred in this specific place that's beautiful yep it's a great thought anything else yeah got one here? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go to understand what the normal of the, the norm of the culture was and what was acceptable back then and what wasn't, right? Um, So uh, this is, this is the part where um, at some point in my notes, I had wanted to talk about the beauty of the saints that have gone before us, that have done the work for us, right? And that even now, everything we are saying Um, and we are, we believe has been established upon those that have preached it to us, right? And those who have faithfully studied and preached the word and given it to us. And so, um, there's nothing wrong, uh, with, um, accepting help from saints who have gone before us, right? And have, and have studied. And I I make that argument because what I want to say is, um, there are study resources, um, and commentaries that are trustworthy and reliable and, um, are, are good knowledge because they're men who have given their whole lives and women who have given their whole lives to study that culture, right, and understand it. And then they've written it down so that we can understand it. And so um, we do have a we do have an episode on biblical resources. We have two of them. One of them is called The Apps That Made Us, and one of them is called How to Read the Bible, um, and uh, Bible study resources in our devotion series. So you can go back onto our podcast and look for that. We list a whole bunch of in-depth yep. ones. I always first recommend things like the ESV study Bible, um, because it is, I think it's one of the greatest, uh, collections of biblical books put together under one, um, resource that we've seen. Uh, it's got the most contributors, um, who have academic contributions to it. And, uh, I'd say. Read the beginning of the book, yep. right? So at the beginning, they they have cultural context, ge- geographical context. Like if you open the ESV Study Bible, um, it will say those things. And then one of the reasons why I, I say it is because it's it's geared more towards the academic side, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of study Bibles are devotional in content, which can be great. But when you're trying to answer those questions, it is really nice to have an academically minded one as well. The Blue Letter Bible was another one we've talked That's about. Good one. Um, there are great commentaries for each book, which you can come talk to us or any of your leaders about. We can get some resources there too. I know you we're gonna add some.
1: I was just gonna say, with commentaries, um, like if you are wanting to dive into uh, First and Second Samuel, like along with Cody, like we should learn how to be good learners and to reach out to our pastoral staff and be like, hey, Pastor Rob, as you're going through Revelation, what are some of the commentaries that you're using? Or asking Cody, what are some of the commentaries that you're using? Because not all of them are reliable. Um, And so I think it's a great way to start to interact more with um, our pastoral staff and leaders and learn what are some of the reliable resources, especially for a certain um, study that we're going Mm -hmm. through.
0: Yeah, and you know, just the danger is that we're just going to put the reliable stamp on anything that we agree with. Right. That's so, and I want, I want to tell you, that's not at least at our church, that's not the culture. Right is that we have many resources that we agree are, are reliable as a pastoral staff. That we don't agree with everything in, but we understand that how they got there and how they came to it was done under humility, and are they're able to read the Word of God and defend it, and that's what matters. And and so there, I mean, there's resources from other theologians who have different beliefs than us um, that get there through biblical means, and so we we do recommend them, and we think they're reliable. And you know, um, that's another reason why I love. Um, you know, some of the, the study resources we use, like the ESV Study Bible, Blue Letter, because a lot of times um, they will list the three different main views and not tell you which one they think, right? They'll say, here's the three acceptable views that all can be backed up by Scripture. There you are. And I love that. I love that it, it's just listed that way. Um, I think commentary is the same way, right? Like we do a deep dive on the people that wrote them what is their degree where did they get their degree how many years did they study that um, how did they go about being passionate like you know we study those authors before we begin reading what it is their they're proposing is is said so um, that's you know.
2: the other thing i just wanted to include on top of that as well is uh, just remember to especially in the old testament if you're in a like for first samuel for example Sometimes it might help you get that answer if you expand where you're reading to the whole book. And in that case, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, or the Samuels, the Kings, and the Chronicles all have similar, uh, or they, they cover the same time period, the same people, many cases. And so you might get some context from a different area in Scripture to that part you're in there. And it's not always going to work, you know, we want to rest on the church and use the work they've done. Sometimes scripture will help answer it for you as well.
0: And one last thing I'll, I'll say is that commentaries can be really expensive. I mean, it's like one book is $80 and you don't know which commentaries to buy and things like that. So like Hannah said, if you're wondering, like, where am I getting some of this stuff? I have commentaries that I trust Um, I have the right to share certain pages of them and different info, and so if it's something you're interested in reading for yourself and you want to see that I didn't just grab it out of anywhere, I can get you guys copies of those things. I can't print out the whole book for you, but I can certainly help get you resources and things like that, and I'll tell you exactly where I'm getting them and which ones I'm reading and and how I'm studying, and and the Logos Bible software, I will always say, is an amazing software if you ever want to download it. That's a great one, too. All right. Anyway, we have other things on that we can... Does that help? Okay, Great. Um, is there any final comments you guys want to say before we head into bingo night? That's what we're doing tonight, playing bingo.
1: My final thought, just as you're reading... Um, especially the Old Testament. And like we said, it can get really confusing. It can get hard. Just to remember that this is um, the divine revelation of God. Like he wants to reveal himself and he has revealed himself in this word. So if at the very least you're reading and it's really confusing, just be looking for where is God in this? What does it say about who he is, his characters and his attributes, that that is the main purpose of scripture is to know God Um and to be looking forward to Christ. And so at the very least, that's a great place to start. If getting into all the cultural everything and commentaries feels very overwhelming, Um, just start with what does God say about himself in his word?
0: Amen. Yeah, that's good. Great. This is why you're here. So you say things. I'm just like, good. Yep, we're done. All right. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we've been able to discuss things in a different way and, and um, be able to learn in a different way. Lord, I pray for next week when we kick back off with formal preaching and opening your word together and going verse by verse as we study King Saul and understanding how he set up King David for um, his time. Lord, is, as king, and uh, running from him and loving him and being friends with his son and taking over from him and all these things, Lord, help us to understand all the more um, how all of this points to you, Jesus. It brings us a deeper understanding of who you are. Lord, we love you. Uh, Please uh, just stir up that love for you even deeper through your word over the next several weeks. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.